Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I am excited that you're listening this morning, the Sunday before Christmas. Merry Christmas. I can't think of a more exciting time of year. We get to celebrate Jesus's birth this time of year, and this is so exciting because Jesus represents the only true hope in all of the world. And I don't say that lightly. There is no one else who has ever promised eternal life and proven that they had the authority to do that. Only Jesus. In fact, there's no other option. There are many different religions that offer ideas about the afterlife and how someone might have an afterlife or escape a bad one and have a good one. There are many different worldviews that try to give hope in the midst of suffering and pain and all the trouble that we see all around us. But there's only one perspective. There's only one worldview. There's only one religion. There's been only one man who promised answers to all those things and then actually backed that up by conquering death himself. Muhammad is dead and buried. Buddha is dead and buried. Many other religious leaders have come and gone, and they're all dead and buried. Jesus Christ is not dead and buried. He is alive today. He rose from the dead. The historical evidence for his resurrection is overwhelming, and it gives me great joy to celebrate his birth, life, death, resurrection, and his message of hope and life for all those that would put their trust in him this morning. What an incredible time of year. I'm so glad that you're listening, and I'm excited to celebrate Jesus's birth this year with you. Thank you so much for listening. Well, I thought we'd start by talking about the evidence for Christmas. In fact, last week I promised we'd talk about the evidence for Christmas. So when we talk about the evidence for Christmas, we're talking about the evidence for Jesus's birth. Now, we know that Jesus really did live on this earth. He is no myth. In fact, one of the biggest critics of the New Testament, one of the biggest skeptics about Christianity, one of the biggest opponents to modern Christian thinking, has recently written a book titled, Did Jesus Really Exist? And as a historian, he notes that if you disagree with Christ's physical, historical existence, you're a mythicist. There you have it. One of the biggest critics of Christianity alive today maintains that if you disagree with Christ's historical existence, you're the mythicist. So when we hear the American atheists putting up billboards that state that if you believe that Jesus really lived on this earth, if you celebrate Christmas, it's a myth. We see those billboards all over the place, and we hear about those in the news this time of year. Well, unfortunately for the atheists, one of their biggest guns, Bart Ehrman, says that they're the ones that are the mythicists if they disagree with Christ's historical existence. I'll get into some of the evidence for Christ's historical existence later on in the show, but I wanted to start by saying if Jesus did exist and there is no sane person, no expert in the field, there's no real scholar that would debate his physical existence, if you believe he existed, which no one significantly disagrees with. If you believe he existed, it's obvious that he was born, right? And so do we have evidence that he was born? Absolutely, he existed, and we have strong evidence for that, and nothing that contradicts that. So the reality is that if he existed, and he did on this planet, then he was born. 
And if he was born, we have all the evidence in the world to celebrate Christmas. So that's a short snippet of why we can celebrate Christmas with confidence. I'll get into it a lot more today, but the reality is that Jesus did live on this planet. He did die on this planet, and he rose again to give you and me new life. The history supports that, and the reality that all that occurred is all the evidence that I need to know that he actually was born. So you can be confident that when you celebrate Christ's birth this season, you are not celebrating a myth. You are celebrating reality. I hope that that encourages you with more cheer than any Christmas carol ever did. Well, it's a great time of year. I love Christmas. I love this time of year. I love the Christmas carols that we sing. I love listening to them on my phone and in the car. I love putting them on at the house. I love eggnog. I love all the time with family. I love visiting different things that happen only this time of year, different celebrations, different events. This past week, my family and I went down to Farmington to see the travel through Bethlehem that was going on at the community church down there. I would encourage you to visit it at 2400 North Butler Avenue in Farmington. It was an incredible thing for my kids. They loved seeing the real animals and getting a picture of what Bethlehem really must have been like when Christ was born and when Mary and Joseph returned there for the census of Caesar. It was an incredible time. It was really great. I would encourage you to go there. But I love stuff like that, that you only get to experience this time of year. Not to mention the cold weather, the snow, and the exhibition of true generosity. When we give each other presents, it's not just what we can get, but the joy of giving to those that we love. What a great time of year, and what a great way to celebrate the greatest gift that's ever been given. The Son of God... God in human flesh who came and lived a perfect life with us, died for our sins so that we could have peace with God. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to celebrate. What hope we have in Jesus. Okay, so I mentioned the historicity of Jesus, and I said I'd get into it. I thought we'd jump right into that right away on the show before going any further. The reality of Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection are solid history. I would encourage you to go to carm.org, that's C-A-R-M.org, for any of your apologetical questions. It's a great site, but he gives great, great, great descriptions of some of the evidence that we have for Jesus's historical existence. Ryan Turner of Carm shares the following list. He says that there are over 42 sources within 150 years of Jesus's death, which mention his existence and record many of the events of his life. Here they are. There are nine traditional New Testament authors. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, the author of Hebrews, James, Peter, and Jude, which each describe Jesus' physical existence. You can't throw out eyewitness testimony. The skeptic might like to do that, but he can't. And the reality is that we have good first century eyewitness testimony of Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. Additionally, even if we were to throw those out to patronize the critic, you'd have other writings outside of the New Testament which corroborate Christ's physical, historical existence. There are 20 other early Christian writers outside of the New Testament. These include Clement of Rome, Second Clement, Ignatius, Polycarp, the martyrdom of Polycarp, the Didash, Barnabas, Shepherd of Hermas, Fragments of Papias, Justin Martyr, Aristides, Athenagoras, Theophilus of Antioch, Quadratus, Aristo of Pella, Melito of Sardis, 
Diognetus, Gospel of Peter, Apocalypse of Peter, and Epistula Apostolorum. All of those are other writers outside of the New Testament from the second century in that time frame that describe Jesus as a historical figure. There are additional heretical writings like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Truth, the Apocryphon of John, and the Treatise on the Resurrection, which also describe Jesus as a historical figure. Now, all those, like I said, are heretical writings. They came much later than the Gospels, and I would not take them as truth, but they do refer to Jesus Christ as a historical figure, and we can't just write that off as historians. There are also nine secular sources. There's Josephus, a Jewish historian, Tacitus, a Roman historian, Pliny the Younger, a Roman politician, Phlegon, a freed slave who wrote histories, Lucian, a Greek satirist, Celsus, a Roman philosopher, and Marabar Serapion, a man that wrote to his son, including some incredible details about Jesus. We'll describe those in a minute. Also, we have Suetonius and Thallus. Those are different secular sources from early on that corroborate Christ's historical existence. So again, we have over 40 historical references to Christ from those early years. The idea that Christ is a myth is a myth. And again, the atheists can't just get away with it. We have very much to celebrate, and it is corroborated by history. This history is truly convincing. So... If we look at all these accounts, they're fascinating. And I think we need to look at the biblical accounts first because the Gospels actually give us eyewitness testimony of Jesus. But the critic wouldn't let us take that move. So let's look at some of the extra-biblical accounts of Jesus, some of the accounts of Christ that are outside of Scripture. Well, we can look at several of these. And you can get a bunch of these at rationalchristianity.net. And there are many other places that you can view some of these historical references to Christ that are found outside of the Bible. One of these would be from the Babylonian Talmud, which preserves Jesus's arrest warrant, saying that Jesus was to be stoned for practicing sorcery, i.e. miracles, and leading Israel astray, i.e. blasphemy. The Babylonian Talmud contains two other probable references to Christ, saying, Woe to him who makes himself alive by the name of God, and he then went and raised Jesus by incantation. Both of those talk about a historical person that was risen from the dead, namely Jesus. Josephus makes a few comments about Jesus as well. He says, Now there arose at this time a source of further trouble in one Jesus, a wise man who performed surprising works, a teacher of men who gladly welcomed strange things. He led away many Jews and also many of the Gentiles. He was the so-called Christ. When Pilate, acting on information supplied by the chief men around us, condemned him to the cross, those who had attached themselves to him at first did not cease to cause trouble. And the tribe of Christians, which has taken this name from him, is not extinct even today. Incredible how he corroborates so much of the gospel accounts right there in his historical statement. And then he continues saying, So he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James, and some others. 
And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. So again, we see another historical reference from Josephus to Jesus. Tacitus, a Roman historian, writes this. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty i.e. crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Pliny the Younger, a Roman politician, described Christians as worshiping Christ as a god. So many of these statements corroborate exactly what we see in Scripture, that the Christians follow Jesus, that Jesus was condemned for performing miracles and leading people astray from Judaism. In other words, they were following him instead. He was condemned to the cross, killed on the cross, and his followers continued worshiping him as a god after that place. Incredible. Lucian, a Greek satirist, continues writing in the Passing of Peregrinus, describing Christians who worshipped the leader of a cult who was impaled in Palestine and lived under his rules. Again, talking about Christians worshipping Jesus. Marabar Serapion was a man that wrote to his son, and he wrote the following. He says, What advantage did the Jews gain by the death of their wise king? He then connects that to the destruction of Jerusalem. Suetonius writes that he banished from Rome all the Jews who were continually making disturbances at the instigation of one Crestus, or Christ. And he says that punishment was inflicted on the Christians, a class of men given to a new and mischievous superstition. Julius Africanus quotes two other historical accounts, Thallus and Phlegon, talking about the fact that the earth turned dark after Christ's crucifixion, something that we read in Scripture. He writes, On the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thales, in the third book of his history, calls, as appears to me without reason, an eclipse of the sun. Phlegon records that in the time of Tiberius Caesar, at full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour to the ninth, manifestly that one of which we speak. So again, all these historical references that corroborate the sky going dark at the time of the resurrection in the middle of the afternoon, that corroborate Christ's death by crucifixion under Pilate, that corroborate his resurrection, that corroborate his miracles and the fact that people were following him, that they were worshiping him as God. Incredible, all these references to Christ. Now, one of those that I think is important during this time of Christmas is the historical account of Christ from Celsus, a Roman philosopher, who was later refuted by Origen, a Christian. But Celsus says that Jesus was born out of wedlock and learned magical powers in Egypt, by which he panned himself off as a god. Interestingly, Celsus, even in trying to accuse Christ, he gives us positive evidence. Some would call this positive evidence from a hostile source. Celsus tells us a few things that we must catch here. One, he says that Jesus was born out of wedlock, which I believe is strong confirmation of the virgin birth. 
Two, he says that he learned magical powers in Egypt, <laughs> which corroborates his miraculous powers. And three, it says that he panned himself off as a god, something that confirms Jesus's claim to divinity. So all these historical accounts of Christ outside of Scripture corroborate many of the details of his life. And again, these are from outside of Scripture. There are nearly as many of these extra-biblical historical accounts of Jesus as there are of Tiberius Caesar who ruled the known world of his day. If you include the other historical references, like those from the eyewitnesses that lived with him, the number of historical references for him is far greater than for Tiberius Caesar who ruled the world of his day. Anyway, we have to realize that the evidence for Jesus is phenomenal. And these extra-biblical accounts don't just give random evidence for Jesus. They don't just say, oh, he happened to exist. They say that he existed in the same time and place that the Bible says, that he performed miracles just like the Bible says he did, that people followed him, worshiping him as a god, just like the Bible says he did, that he claimed to be God, just like the Bible says that he did, that he died by crucifixion under Pilate, just like the Bible says that he did, that he rose again, just as the Bible says that he did, and that the people continued following him afterwards, claiming that he was God after that fact, just like the Bible says that he did. Again, we see these corroborating accounts outside of the Bible. This is fascinating. So not only do we know that Jesus existed, but we realize from the historical documents themselves that his life is exactly what we see in Scripture, in the New Testament, the things that he did, his death, his resurrection, and pertinent today, his birth, are what we see in the New Testament. Incredible. So Jesus was a real man who really lived, walked, died, and rose again right here on this earth. He was born probably around 5 B.C., not in zero. Josephus wrote that Herod died in 4 B.C., and Jesus was likely born between 7 and 4 B.C., Scholars think five is most likely. He died in about A.D. 33, because that was the only date that Nisan 14, the Passover, fell on a Thursday, the day before his crucifixion on Friday. So the only possibilities, A.D. 30, that doesn't allow enough time for his ministry, and A.D. 33. So probably he was born in about 5 B.C. and died in about 33 A.D. History corroborates his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, and again, pertinent today, his birth, and again, we even have extra-biblical evidence that he was born out of wedlock. In other words, I believe, by virgin birth. Okay, when was he born? People might say, and I've had atheists make this claim before, well, you're celebrating on December 25th, but that used to just be a Roman holiday. Well, we've all heard that accusation, and they might be right that that exact date isn't the date that he was born. That doesn't matter, right? The authors of The Cradle, the Cross, and the Crown say that Jesus' birth occurred between the latter half of 7 B.C. and the beginning of 4 B.C. And it's doubtful, again, that it was on the 25th, but that is not a problem. My brother, Alex, was adopted from Columbia, and we didn't know his exact birthday. He was born on the streets and had a very difficult upbringing. But when we adopted him, they allowed us to pick a birthday. The doctors told us generally how old they thought he was, and they said, pick a birthday that would fit. We picked February 16th. I love celebrating my brother's birthday on February 16th each year. 
He is someone I love dearly, and I'm glad he was born. We celebrate his birthday on February 16th. That does not mean he was actually born that day. Just like in the case with Christmas, because we celebrate on December 25th, does not mean that Jesus wasn't born. It just means that that day is as good as any to celebrate his birth. So it's not a problem that we celebrate on this day that was shared by the Romans. It doesn't invalidate whatsoever the cause for our celebration, Jesus's actual historical birth. The authors of the cradle, the cross, and the crown also write, none of the New Testament data is inconsistent with a midwinter date. So this date is as good as any. What's most important is what we're celebrating. All right, so the atheist says here, okay, so maybe there's historical evidence for Jesus and a lot of the things he did, but how could you believe in a miraculous birth? We know that miraculous things don't happen. So they would debate the possibility of the miraculous. Well, they're wrong. But before I get to why they're wrong, I wanted to mention that you're listening to KDUR on 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. Merry Christmas and thanks for listening this morning. Well, here's where the atheist is wrong when they try to debunk the possibility of miracles. They're probably basing their criticism and their skepticism on Hume's famous contention that there is a uniformity of nature and a uniformity of experience that say miracles can't happen. Well, here's the problem with Hume in case you missed it. There is no way that Hume could say there's a uniformity of nature that disproves miracles. He couldn't say that unless he'd been to all of nature and been there for all of time. We have no way of knowing what has or has not happened in the past, and we could make no such assumption. That would be wrong. Additionally, he says there's a uniformity of experience that proves that miracles don't happen. Well, again, he's dead wrong. There are countless millions of people that claim to have experienced miracles and continue to claim that today. There's no way Hume can tell us that there is uniformity of experience against the miraculous. That's not true whatsoever. That's absolutely crazy. Now, if you disagree with me, I would encourage you to get a recent scholarly work by Dr. Craig Keener, who's been on the show, titled Miracles. Go to Amazon and look for Keener's book, Miracles. He goes through more than 1,200 pages of cited examples of miracles that parallel the gospel accounts all throughout time and including in the modern age all across the world. So Hume's argument completely fails. There's no uniformity of nature, neither is there a uniformity of experience against the miraculous. And we know that things outside of the uniformity of nature have happened in the past. We know that this whole world came into existence from nothing a finite time ago. That doesn't happen according to the laws of nature that we observe today. Namely, the first law of thermodynamics says that can't happen. But we know it did happen. So if we believe the universe exists, which I doubt any atheists doubt, we can't then turn around and say there's a uniformity of nature that shows that these miraculous events can't occur. They couldn't possibly say that. Additionally, we have strong evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Go to GodSolutionShow.com and look at some of our interviews with Dr. Gary Habermas. 
and Dr. Mike Lacona for some of the great evidence for Christ's resurrection that we see. There is no way that the atheist can say that you cannot believe in the miraculous. It's impossible for them to say that. Now, I admit believing that Jesus was born of a virgin is something I take on faith. It's not something that is provable either way. I can't go back and prove whether or not Mary was a virgin. That's impossible. What I can know for certain is that the evidence for Christ's life, death, and resurrection is strong. And therefore, the evidence that he was born is strong. And I can take by faith the testimony from credible eyewitnesses that he was born of a virgin. I also have to remember that that was prophesied along with more than 100 other details about Jesus before he ever came to this planet. That's phenomenal. I can't just write off all this prophecy that told all about Jesus, how he'd be born, where he'd be born, when exactly to the year he'd be born, what he would do, how he would live, that he would die for our sins, that he'd be risen again. What incredible things we see in biblical prophecy as well. When I wrap all this together, I realize that I have every reason in the world to confidently celebrate Christmas. And I hope you remember that as you celebrate Christmas this week. As we get ready to celebrate Christmas, I thought I would close out the show by reading the Christmas story. In Matthew 1, we read, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to his son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I hope that you've enjoyed the show this morning, and I hope that you're encouraged by the evidence for Christmas and for all that we celebrate this week. You can know with confidence that Jesus really did live, die, and really was resurrected here on this planet. And if that's for certain, and historically it is, we know that he was born. So you have every reason in the world to celebrate this Christmas. But the biggest reason to celebrate is the fact that God became a man to die for your sins and mine and to rise again to give us new life, something that we could never do on our own. See, the Bible says that you and I are sinful and that our sin separates us from a perfect and just God who cannot tolerate sin. Because of that, unfortunate reality, all of us had nothing to look forward to but separation from God for all of eternity and what the Bible calls hell. The Bible says that God loved us too much to let things stand that way, that he came, he lived this perfect life that we could never live on this planet, died for all the sins that I deserve to die for, and rose again to give me life so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him can be adopted into his family, be given a gift of eternal life in him, and look forward to a life of meaning and purpose on this planet because of him. If you've never taken that step today, I would encourage you to do it now. 
I can't think of a better way to celebrate Christmas. You could do that right now through prayer by saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died for my sins and rose again. Please come into my life as my Savior and as my Lord. Please make me the kind of person you want me to be. I hope that you take that step this morning if you haven't already, and I can't think of a better way to celebrate Christmas. Well, go to godsolutionshow.com for a list of local churches and the times and the places that they meet and visit one of them this morning. I hope that you have a wonderful Christmas this week. I hope that you'll spend time with friends and family and enjoy all the things that this season offers. But most importantly, I hope that you'll enjoy Jesus and the hope that we have in him and in no one else. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Aaron, the sweetest woman I know. Merry Christmas, Eliana, my sweet little six-year-old. Merry Christmas, Kara, my beautiful little redhead. And Merry Christmas, Micah. I love you each so much. Merry Christmas to Mom and Dad and Roger and Joanne, Dave, Alex, Josh, Barbie, all my other relatives. Thank you so much for all you listeners. Merry Christmas to each of you. Thank you for listening to The God Solution Show. And like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks again for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon and Merry, Merry Christmas. Silent night, oh.